Blog Talk Radio. Winging it. Winging it. Winging it. Winging it. Winging it. Winging it. I'm winging it in motel. Winging it. Today I am JJ from Kansas, and I am joined by my two excellent guests, Sarah and Josh. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm a little sad the season's ending, but you know, here comes the draft. Are we really sad the season's ending? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying good. to be positive. That's fair. Josh, how are you feeling? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I, uh, you know, it is it is sad, especially when when things are turning around as they have to see the season uh, start to come to a close. But uh, even with the wings not in it, I guess playoff hockey can still be exciting. Not always without them, but uh, we can pretend it is. It is incredibly freeing because I I feel I, I still get to do all of the the hatred, you know, from the the depths of hell's heart. I I stab at thee with. 16 teams instead of 15 and literally the only comeback I ever have to deal with is well your team's not it yeah okay whatever <laughs> I've been dealing with that all season so you're not hurting my feelings anyway. yeah. it doesn't hurt like when your team's losing a series and they sting you with that one <laughs> exactly like I don't have to su- not fresh. suffering has been all season long it's, it's over now so I'm just <laughs> I'm just laying it on you and you're just Taking all the ba- and I just got a recent reminder from Bruins Twitter that like this is a time where everybody gets, like super sensitive and I love it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that was a good exchange. Like, right? <laughs> <laughs> a couple of days later, I'm still getting crap. And I'm like, oh, your team's not in the playoffs. You know, I know, but ah, we whipped your ass, yeah. dummy. Yeah. It's weird. So, I never thought from a Boston fan, right? Who'd have thought? Right. Yeah. I, I don't get it. That, that poor city has gone, uh, you know, months now without a championship. So they're they're suffering. We we should feel bad for them. Assholes. <laughs> All right. So just uh, just jumping right into it, uh, we we've got to put to rest this debate that we've been having forever, and we will continue to have. But no, we're we're gonna kill it now. Uh, the and unfortunately, I we, we we're talking right before the episode started. Um, we actually don't have anybody that's like super duper on a team tank, but we are going to, uh, we'll give it a fair shake. So, um, Josh, you want to kind of like go over, go over your thoughts for anybody who is maybe living under a rock and doesn't understand the concepts of, of team tank versus, uh, team culture. Yeah, sure. Sure. So the, 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 the basics is if you're, if you're a team tank, you're, you want no points in the standings here, regardless of what that that means to the team. You want to get as little as possible, move your way up the reverse standings and uh, increase your odds 1% of the time at, uh, at getting those lottery balls to fall your way and ending up with a, with a Hughes to help uh, turn your franchise around. Um, you know, the flip side being 
if you're if you're a team culture, the the thoughts being that uh, you know all that losing does damage to the psyche of the room and the players you're returning next year, despite maybe and the and it's a maybe winning the lottery and and a, drafting a talent like Hughes, uh, the rest of your lineup just is broken and struggles to recover, and you kind of end up in an Oilers situation where you just even having otherworldly talent, it's it's tough to overcome all that losing. And where do you uh, where do you exactly stand on on that? Well, um, you know it's it's I don't want to be offensive. I I'm I am team culture. Um, I can understand the the desire for team tank. And I will say when games end in a loss, I'm not all that disappointed um, in terms of kind of, it's kind of, I, I try to see it as a win-win where when they're winning, it means it's good things for the, the kids. And as they develop and uh, you know, if they lose, if they, they lose tight contests that they're competing in uh, maybe it helps increase those odds or hold the spot a bit, but I'm, I'm definitely more the side of, of team culture um, you know, the lottery ball odds change only slightly with each spot you drop. The the thing you're more attached to, I think, on Team Tank, if you're if you're looking at reality is is the better chance of uh staying higher up versus falling down to six, seven, eight, whatever spot. That's that's more what you're thinking. If you're if you're thinking just because you're in the bottom three, that means you're you got a, a strong chance that one of those top two, a Keiko or uh or Hughes there, it's it's I figure out what the exact percentages are, but it's like even if you're bottom two, it's what thirty three percent or something at most. So. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Sarah? Where where do you lay on the the spectrum? Uh, I'm definitely also team culture. Uh, you know, it's I like to think that there's no one out there who thinks that hockey teams would ever lose on purpose. Um, you know, and that everyone is just frustrated. Um, that they felt like they had it all figured out about where we were standing. Um, and then all of a sudden, the dead weight kind of dropped off. We got a bunch of kids in, and now we can't stop winning. Um, but I love it. I can't help it. Um, I think it's really, really important that this team feels like they can compete. And I know I just sounded like Blashill there, and I'm sorry, but, you know, I. I just think that's the most important thing right now. You know, Bertuzzi, Double A, Mantha, they're all 24. You know, Larkin's 22. We still have a pretty big window, you know, and lots coming. Um, but if these guys all went out there with this, you know, all the old guys hurt and just got crushed over and over and over again to end the season, uh, that would make for a pretty depressing summer. Um, you know, so I, you know, obviously want to get someone great in the draft. And we've been drafting pretty well the past few years according to me. Um, but I just love the, I love the winning streak. I'm sorry. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, not to, to, to straw man anything up because I don't think that like, I, I obviously there are people out there who are like really, really, really angry about the Red Wings winning games and like super duper. Like I would rather, I, I would, I would kneecap Dylan Larkin right now if he could be healthy, you know, just to keep him from winning games. I, 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 everybody falls on, along a, a, a level. And, you know, I I do admit I would rather see them 
uh, lose productively. You know, the good the good moral victories, but oh, you know the the goalie got interfered with and the the refs didn't see it and we got screwed and that's how we lost this game. I would rather that happen um, because I I don't think that anybody on on Team Tank wants the losing culture. It's just a concept of of what exactly scares us the most going forward. And honestly, like, if the draft lottery odds were better than, you know, even the worst team in the league, which is is going to be Ottawa and their picks going to Colorado, so thanks a lot for that, jerk-offs. You know, 18.5% at winning the number one pick and uh, being one or two is like combines like for 34%. So like losing all these games for a, a one in three coin flip at either Hughes or, or Kako. Yeah, I get it. You know, it, it makes sense, but I'm just not like comfortable with that because the, the most crushing thing would be like watching the team get, you know, smoked all the way through uh, the beginning of April and then we also end up with a third overall pick or the fourth overall pick uh, because the the bingo balls fell the wrong way. And I, that's not even the wrong way. Like I, a 34% chance of, of getting first or second means that you are more likely to not be picking first or second than you are. So I, I think that most of the fan base will fall into the what we want to see is go ahead and win these last two games and then win the win the lottery anyway because that's not insane. Like, right now the Red Wings are sitting at a, a 8.5% chance of, of the first overall pick. Um, they are currently most likely, according to Tankathon, to pick in the number six spot with about a 34% chance. Uh, six spots where we got Zadina, and I'm I'm not into the, the, the draft profiles. After Kako and Hughes, I, I don't care. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, but I'm just like, I do kind of like the, and I don't want to get your your take on this. What do you think about the concept of a lot of people would rather pick second just so that like the the possibility that you screw up and end up with the wrong one of those two top guys uh, is, is on the other team? Sarah. Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, that's, I had never kind of thought about that before um you know i every i think it feels like every year now it's the number one pick is a generational player you know everyone is a generational player and you know and it doesn't seem like there's a chance that jack hughes is not but he's also not enormous you know he's a he's a little small which i'm totally fine with um you know but that who knows how that will translate to the highest level um, you know, I can kind of think about it, you know, it's, I guess it's going to be known as this like Connor McDavid syndrome where it's like you get ruin their careers by having a completely dysfunctional team. And so we're even, you know, that's almost a lot of pressure on your team not to ruin a general, you know, quote, generational talent. So I guess maybe it is better to pick just a little lower. So you're not making the news as the person who ruined a child's life. Um, but if we get first pick in the draft, I am, you know, lose for Hughes all the way. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. What do you think, Josh? Josh. All right. Sorry. There we go. Mike, Mike cut out there. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. It's one of those things where, <laughs> 
Um, you do you all that losing, and you, you think, okay, we're going to get this, like, like Sarah said, a generational talent, which, you know, the the, the definition of generational isn't, isn't every year. Um, you know, McDavid fits the profile, but how many in between, you know, you got, and this isn't to knock, you got guys like Nico Heischer, who is a very good hockey player, but, you know, like, New Jersey's still, or sorry, Philadelphia is still not doing much, right? New Jersey, um, you got Buffalo's got Jack Eichel, who is, and again, a very strong talent. Wouldn't mind you, was a number two, but here they are sitting deep in the lottery odds. Um, so it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily breed success right away. Um, I do like the idea that, you know, you, you win all these games late, like the wings, you know, you know, dropping your odds. And then all of a sudden by working your way into that fifth, sixth spot, whatever it is, and then are awarded for it because the lottery balls fall your way. That kind of just seems like, like justice to me. It, uh, you know, I, I like that with the other one they see. I, I think I like it more because the wings are, are number one in it, but the, the gold standard or whatever that some people have thrown around about, you earn points after you're eliminated from the playoffs. And if you were following that system, Detroit's currently leading the way. So maybe that's why I kind of have an affinity for that one. But, uh, you know, I think going into it, that's what you hope is that the – the, the, by breeding good culture and winning these games and, and producing it, actually, you know, you get some, some lucky bounces when you get to that point. Yeah, I do like the gold plan. Hey, I got they got brought back up because apparently uh, Shane Doan talked about it and like it it went around for a while. Like, oh, it's Shane Doan's idea. And it's not Shane Doan's idea. It it has been around for a long time. And, and yeah, the <laughs> the Red Wings would be leading under under that standard. And uh, so that is the standard I want them to be using this year. My my previous <laughs> concerns with that plan is, like, it doesn't actually change tanking. It just kind of changes when teams tank. And I mm. worry about it messing up, like, what happens at the trade deadline. Like, I guess teams that are already out of the playoffs by the trade deadline might actually become buyers under this plan, um, trying to gain more points. But does that just – does that make too many buyers and not enough sellers? Because who sells under the gold plan? Like, obviously the playoff teams looking to run for the cup aren't selling. And now the teams that are looking to to tank in, tank in time to start winning games late in the season aren't selling. So, what, you get the bubble teams? Just here's a here's a guy we, we don't think that we need, but I, I don't know. But then again, I, I don't really... I don't really care because the, the trade deadline is about to go uh, boring anyway since Columbus went all in and now they're they're like they're not going to – if they even make the first round, they're not going to make any noise. And that's apparently going to scare every GM forever. So, But, yeah, the McDavid-Eichel draft was like – that's what I keep thinking of with the, oh, yeah, we want to pick second and that way, you know, whoever the, the first team takes, you know, we'll get we'll – get, it, at least it won't be us having screwed up that pick. It's like, yeah, but you know, that's how Buffalo ended up with Eichel and that guy. Sorry, I really don't like Jack Eichel. So that's, but yeah, I, I don't think either. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure that Hughes is even going to be on Eichel's level or, or Kako. So yeah, that's that's another consideration in, in my con- concept more towards team culture. It's like I I really like that first line that we've got going right now. I think they've got something special. Obviously, a Jack Hughes would make this team um, better or a, a Capocaco would make this team better than the other kids in the draft. But there's not a McDavid. There's there's not a, a, a Matthews. Like, there's 
these aren't the generational guys. So it's like if not if we're not picking first, then uh, okay. I'm I'm not happy about that, but I'm not wailing and gnashing my teeth about it either. So, but moving on from there, it's like where exactly are we on the on the rebuild? Like how soon should we? And the the Red Wings have already said so, but how how soon should we be expecting to be back in the playoffs? And then how soon should we be expecting to actually be be making noise in the playoffs, Josh? Your mic cut out again. Curses. Sarah, I'll kick it to you. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, that's a good question. Like you said, we know that the team is, you know, saying we're going to compete for the playoffs next year. Um, you know what? I think they would say that anyway. Um, and it's kind of hard because it, you know, really depends on how, you know, Ken and Blaschel interpret what's happening right now. You know, if they, if, you know, admit that the dead weight is dead wait and try and do something about it or if they you know if we start next year send all the kids off and you know try this same team we had at the beginning of the year that was awful try that again I mean I think this hodgepodge team we have now you know in this first line we're rolling I think this is a playoff team and that you know could be a pretty serious contender not next year probably not the year after that um you know but i think in three years four years we'll have kind of everybody will be peaking and you know looking ahead at who we have you know we drop we start dropping a lot of uh salary in in the next couple of years um which opens us up you know if we can be buyers um, that gives us a lot more room um you know to to restock whatever we're missing so they could sneak in next year. I don't know if I want them to, but I don't think we have to wait a super long time to be, you know, get past the second round for once. But that really depends on how management, you know, if they're going to go for it and let this team be young or if they're going to do this, their version of team culture, which is loyalty to everyone. So I guess I'm a toss up right now. So I guess it'll say like sometime before Dylan Larkin transfers uh, transitions from like Winter Soldier Captain America to Captain America from like Avengers, right? Um, from the last one. Yeah, when he gets his full beard grown in, we'll know it's it's gone too far. We're too late. <laughs> yeah, if he get, when when Larkin gets grizzled, it's too late. He's not grizzled yet. He's he's grizzling. That's not a word. I like That's it. Awful. I like it. <laughs> what I, uh, do you think, Josh? Sorry, I, my uh, my call dropped in there, so I I apologize in advance if I repeat some of what uh, Sarah had there, but I'll uh, I'll just run with it. Um, you know, if you had asked me two weeks ago, I probably would have thought uh, much differently about how close they are. But the the top line just has been so dominant, even against these these teams that are still have something to compete for, like Pittsburgh the other night. Uh, the the Burt Larkin Mantha line has just looked like a machine. Where if you can even have a half decent second line and some secondary scoring, you're 
your your output should be should be jumping up. Like, you know, I'm I'm looking into next year, and you're thinking, you know, that second line, if if uh, Athanasiu can keep these things out, I mean, he's a 30 goal scorer, just you know, keep that kind of production going, and you figure Zadina is going to draw into the lineup in maybe that spot. Now it might take him some time to get going, but if if he meets his draft stock here and is able to do what we we think he can do. You you pair those two with someone like Hiroshi, who's who's looked good. I mean, it's only been ten games, but that's you know the way it looks right now. He looks like a good fit on a, on a second line. Um, I mean, depending who they draft, that's someone else who slides maybe into the top six. Uh, you know, one of the things that where if they don't end up with one of those top two picks, that could be a blessing. Is you know I've only seen the the one defensive prospect listed among the top five or six or whatever. Um, I, I might get the enunciation on this wrong, but uh, Baram, Byram, um, I haven't seen other names out there. So if they get a guy like that, that can suddenly be kind of an anchor on the back end, not saying he jumps in next year, but that's definitely a spot they have a, a hole right now. I think that's what's going to maybe hold them back from jumping into contention right away is, you know, not quite having that, that anchor on the blue line as good as uh, someone like Heronix looked. Um, I still think they're obviously missing that piece and some and some depth there. Um, but as far as next year's goes, if I'm trying to be realistic, about, I can see them getting back into the playoff race, and it's just a matter of they if they can get hot and stay healthy, that they squeeze in as a wild card team. If they, you know if this team faces some injury issues, like one of Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi, Athanasiu going down for extended periods of time you know, uh, much like Mantha did this season, that's probably enough to drive them out of a wild card spot versus into one. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, after next year, the sky's the limit. That's where they kind of jettison some of these these contracts. And, you know, maybe you can move in some sort of utility player on a, a, as a free agent that fits on your third line, second pairing, that type of thing, uh, to supplement the rest of, uh, of your drafting. And, you know, I think that's where you'll really see them take off is, is 2020, 2021. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm on the same page. Like next year, this team should be able to, uh, you know, by the time we, we reach uh, Christmas, uh, they should be at worst a, a bubble team. And if not, they should be real quick to, to pull a shoot there. Cause I don't mind making the playoffs next year, but it does need to be a, like a productive run, not a limping run. Um, you know, it, it's funny. We're, we're winning games right now and, and look really, really great as essentially a, a one-line team plus Athanasiu doing his thing on, on line two. So, like, we're a 1.5 line team. Um, you know, the the fancy stats are, are kind of showing they are generally getting outplayed. Maybe they're getting a little lucky. Maybe this isn't sustainable. Obviously, five-game winning streaks uh, is, is not entirely sustainable since uh, I don't think a team has ever gone 82-0. But, you know, we're also winning games right now with Matt Pumple and Ryan Kuffner and Luke Witkowski and Dylan McElrath. Um, that's filling up, and Martin Furka, and that's filling up the, the bottom ranks of our, our team. Now, uh, argument to be made, obviously, that you know our we'll have Justin Applicator back next year, and how much better than than Matt Pumple is Justin Applicator really? Um, I would personally argue that yes, Justin Applicator is still technically better. It's just the contract isn't very good, but that's I I don't care enough about fighting over over that. I, 
So, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot that could go really, really right. There's a lot that could go really, really wrong. But somewhere in the middle, I think this is going to be a team that is going to be better in the standings. And I think we're finally in a in a place where because we. We'd seen before the rebuild really started a lot of other teams making these kind of trades were like, Why don't why don't the Red Wings make that kind of trade? And then you look at our our prospect pool and like, Oh yeah, we didn't have the assets to make that trade because nobody wanted uh, to take Joachim Anderson away from us. Um, but now we we have the flexibility that uh, based on, on how these guys are doing that maybe we can start taking a chance of the you know the old Scotty Bowman I'd rather trade a guy one year too early than one year too late, um, you know if if it fits and we we get the right piece at the right time then yeah the the rebuild could go quickly but there's I mean, there's a lot of danger a lot of uncertainty there and I know that maybe not a whole lot of faith in Ken Holland's ability to to make those right pieces but uh, maybe by then Ken Holland won't be the guy making those decisions so uh, I don't know I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah, I think so. I think like you're saying that is it there's there's definitely like a lot of different ways to go. One of the things like I was looking at for next season, you know, you kind of do those pen and paper mock lineups all the time, especially when you're sitting near the bottom of the standings. Going well, you know, once once we move on to next year, this guy will be there and this guy won't. And this you got you know one of the things I think that's really intriguing. We talked about kind of like that top six there. You you could be looking at a third like you know whether you call it the third or fourth line, the ice times as you're on the same. But if you, you stick Ablocator with Glenn Denning and Helm all as a line and kind of just make that your, your veteran contract line, you know, they've, they've proven to be effective enough together. I mean, they're not going to light the world on fire, but I don't think they hurt you either, especially when they're, they're near the bottom of your lineup. But where you really get to kind of experiment maybe is who do you put with Nielsen? You got Rasmussen if they don't. I, know, I think next year they have the option to send him to the AHL instead, though. But you could at least maybe look at him at the beginning of the year if things start to click. Um, and I know no one wants to hear this name, but I don't like to write him off quite yet. You got Svechnikov, who has never really gotten his chance, and I I'd like to see what he's capable of. I'm not saying he sticks, but that's one of those things. If that goes right, and all of a sudden he shows he's capable of something, that's where it pushes you closer to a wild card spot versus the other way. But that's a big if, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And so while we're talking about the team uh, growing and, and getting better and the timeline for that, uh, we should talk about the the other timeline in that uh, Jeff Blaschel recently got a two-year extension. Uh, do you, Sarah, think that Jeff Blaschel actually coaches the Red Wings for the next two years? Do you think he coaches beyond the next two years? Uh, what do you want to see? I mean, I, I was definitely resigned to him being extended, and I think I – I think I talk a lot more shit on Twitter than I actually feel about him. Um, you know, it's, oh, I hope so. I think I really, <laughs> I think I really want, I want to like him for some reason. I don't know, but he'll make decisions that just absolutely baffle me. Like I like him right now, but that's because he doesn't have a choice, but to do things I like because he only has young players to work with. So he has to play them. Uh, you know, which means that he can't stick Abdelkader on the first line. And that's, you know, he'll do something like that. And then I instantly hate him, wish he was gone, want, you know, Dan Balsman to take over and Jeff Blasher to just disappear and never show his face again. 
So, you know, I think he actually does coach the next two years. I know a lot of us, and maybe me too, have dreams, you know, of Stevie Y riding in, you know, on his golden Zamboni and kicking out Ken Holland and kicking out Jeff Blaschel and everybody and rebuilding, you know, but I have this question of say he does come back if he keep what if he keeps Ken Holland and Jeff Blaschel I think you know does that tear everyone apart being like wait is Stevie wrong that's impossible he can't possibly be wrong so we (laughs) must be wrong and it's just going to be this complete you know hilarious slash horrifying meltdown of the fan base um you know faced with that like paradox of not wanting to be wrong but we know that Steve Eiserman could not possibly be wrong if he comes back. Um, but I, I feel like Jeff's here for a while. Um, and that if we didn't get rid of him already, you know, can he make it worse? Yes. Will he have consequences? No. So I'm, I'm resigned to at least two more years, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was only two years. Um, so I think that's, that's what I'm going to bet on. I'm going to say two years, and it's not going to be a mid-season firing. Um, that he will end a season and then hopefully be gone for someone else. All right. How are you, Josh? Well, I, I think Sarah is right on the money there. Um, I, I can definitely see him serving the two years just because what, regardless of what He's, I mean, he can certainly influence the lineup one way or the other. That that drives us insane by moving people into spots that are that seem detrimental to to the winning cause. But you know, this the lineup is demonstrating that you know this is a team that's starting to to turn the other way. And whether he's partly responsible or not, it's gonna show. It's gonna bring the appearance that he is. So you know, like as we we kind of talked about, we see this team getting into you know whether or not maybe not into a wild card, but at least within sniffing range of a wild card spot and he's going to reap the rewards. Well, look, look, he's turning this around. Look how, look how well everyone's doing. Like Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi and and everyone. So he obviously knows what he's doing. Then this must be going the right way. And then that'll carry him into that second year. And then like Sarah's saying, if things don't continue to improve for there and he can't get them over the hump, then I see them. Yeah. Letting him go at the end of the season uh, and a series, they, they'd probably give him right, right through to see what he could do with it. Um, and if things kind of get stagnant at that point, with you know Larkin, Mantha, and, and these guys kind of in the the heart of their prime, um, they're probably going to gauge the market and see what else is is out there and available. But I think he gets this two years to see what he can do with a roster that's trending the right direction versus declining. Yeah. I'm curious, like, which teams going through the rebuild phase have decided to just not re-up a coach and replace him in the summer? Like, uh, did Buffalo do that? I think they did. Because I'm uh, having trouble, like, wrapping. Go ahead. No, no, sorry. I just, you're right. I, I can't think of an example. Yeah, because I'm, I'm having trouble thinking, like, in the narrative of how the timeline goes in in my head in the future. Like I do see Jeff Blashill coaching the team for all of next season as, you know, they, they build up and they, you know, get a playoff run and we all get our hopes up and then they, they get crushed and they, you know, that's the, they have to learn from that, that 
that terrible, awful playoff run. And then the next season, when there are actual expectations, uh, the first prolonged losing streak uh, cost Blashill the job. Like, I, I don't think the coaches through the end of year two. I think that, like, basically that is the kick in the pants to the young developing core. Like, hey, you don't have your coach to use it as, as an excuse because we fire that guy. Um, you know, that's that's your wake-up call. And I don't know if it happens in November or if it happens in February, but that's going to be my my prediction right now is that he will come several months short of filling out those those two years. And no matter what, yeah, I, I think that he's not the coach of, of the Red Wings in three years, and I think that's necessary. Like I did, like, and that's that's the endless debate. And, and I want you to know, I want to know what you we you think, Josh, in terms of is Blashill doing a good job of developing Bertuzzi and Larkin and Mantha and Athanasiu and Heronic and Rasmussen and Chalowski? Uh, or are, is this just like the cream of good drafting that regardless of whether or not it was Blashill or, or Bilesma or uh, Gerard Gallant, like these, these kids would be good. Like is Blashill just taking credit for, for these naturally good kids improving on a naturally good timeline? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to say, like you said, for sure. But if I had to choose one or the other, I, I think it's more development in spite of versus because of, um, like I look at an example, like, and I know they had to keep them in the lineup. They couldn't send him anywhere, but junior, but like, even when Rasmussen had a kind of a productive push after his, uh, return from injury there at one point earlier, not the, the most recent one there. Um, he, his minutes seemed to keep dropping. Like he never, he couldn't break 10 minutes. And when the season's lost and it was well gone at that point, how are you not rewarding him for a recent outburst and seeing what he's capable of try him with somebody like Athanasiu or somebody? Why, why is he buried down on the, the quote, quote unquote checking line with, and 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 whoever on this on the rotating wheel, um, and never really getting a chance to flash any offense, right? Like he's he's a net front guy. Put him with some with someone with with Athens to kind of cause some havoc at the net, and you know see what happens. But he I feel like he very rarely got that opportunity, and that's all on Blashill. Like he might not have a choice on who gets called up or who goes down, but it just seemed like why are these kids always being pushed out of the lineup and their minutes dropping while we just watch, you know, the standard veterans get their, their 14, 15 minutes doing nothing with it. And just, you know, status quo, uh, especially given where we're at in the season and the rebuild. So I I'd say it's kind of happening in spite of, and with all the injuries and stuff recently, it's happening, whether he, whether he had any influence or not. So. How about you, Sarah? Where do you stand on that? Oh, I'm definitely on team uh, in spite of. And, you know, you only have to look as far as our good friend, Dennis Chalowski. And, you know, it's it's all fun and games right now because we're winning, you know, but that's three weeks out of a season. Um, you know, and kind of the spiteful-seeming actions against Dennis Chalowski seems, you know, that's, you know, benching you when – it's your first time home and your family's all there, you know, that's when the season is lost. And then, you know, having kind of the gall to be like, you know, everybody's got to earn their place. You have to play your way into this lineup, you know, but letting 
what our defense has been for the past since Lidstrom um, continue to exist. So, you know, there's that just hypocrisy that really burns every time it shows its head, you know, and, you know, double A is a 30 goal scorer now, but he's not that far removed from being the stepchild, um, you know, being the, the spare part. Mantha has taken his turn. We all know as the spare part multiple times this season. It's kind of Rasmussen and Chalowski. You know, Larkin is kind of the only, you know, growing prospect who has never kind of gotten this weird year grounded punishment. Um, you know, so it's it definitely feels uh, in spite of Blashill and not that Blashill has given people real opportunities. It's been, you know, the same thing we've been dealing with for years, playing these veterans, but then telling the kids they have to earn their way. And, you know, Ty goes to the veteran. Ugh, flashbacks. <laughs> I wonder, has Blashill ever actually said that Ty goes to the veteran, or do we just... Assume that since he sounds so much like Mike Babcock anyway, that that's like that, that's what's carried over. I mean, I, we've obviously seen it, uh, so we we don't necessarily have to have heard it from him because actions speak louder than words. But I I'm not sure that Blashell's ever actually said that. Oh, I don't think Although so. I, if I he think actually I'll... said it, it would have just the world would have imploded. Even though he has the same, but you can hear him saying it because he has the same voice as Mike Babcock. So it it does feel like he said it, but he definitely thinks it. Plus, the way Jeff Blashill dresses, we know he doesn't have a good taste in ties anyway. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I actually think that I'm, I'm slightly, I'm, I'm actually much less uh, on the the team in spite of. Although, like Tyler Bertuzzi is such an interesting concept because he is very much though like everybody has been treated like ah, you've got to earn it, you've got to you know start from from scratch and show that you're not going to be a, a defensively awful before I'm, I'm going to give you any of these chances. And Bertuzzi like really like he took that and, and ran with it. But I think Bertuzzi might actually be like the biggest case of in spite of anyway, because I just like the more I see of Tyler Bertuzzi, the more I'm convinced that kid's just got the engine. He's just got it. Um, and it cracks me up. I love that kid. He, he's such a, like, he's the, such a hockey player. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to say, but it's like, cause Athanasiu's game like has actually improved. I'm not sure his scoring has actually improved. Like I, I think that had he been given this time, you know, he would have been a 30 goal scorer you know, earlier in his career, but you know, it's, it's, I hate to like, man, I don't want to sound like the, the coach that I'm, I'm criticizing or the, the GM that I'm criticizing, like, ah, oh, they're, they're words coming out of my mouth, but it's like, it's, it's not all just about scoring goals. It, you know, winning hockey games is about scoring more goals than, than they do. And if you're giving up two for every one that you get, then, then that's no good. But it, it is really tough to tell. I think that if, if we saw more of like the kids that got away like went off and and did something really good. Like if Riley Shan weren't like, oh yeah, that guy still exists, then then it'd be like so much easier for me personally to to close the book on on Blashell as the like, oh he's not really developing kids, he's just kind of like running this program that is just not very good. Like because I I think that Athanasiu and Mantha have actually have made strides that I cannot 
confidently say they would they would have made just under any coaching. Um, but I don't know. Like I I'm not so happy with Jeff Blashill that I think that he, he's crucial to to that development process. Oh well. Well, I keep right. Peter Morazic so, showing up on my Twitter, so I guess that's oh, I think yeah. that's our most like FU <laughs> former Red Wing. I mean, but there was you know lots of problems with that. Um, you know, and Jimmy genuinely earned his spot many, many times over. And you know that's kind of the other elephant in the room we haven't really addressed about this rebuild and you know sniffing at the playoff. You know, if Jimmy goes down, we're kind of screwed if Bernier can't carry it because we just don't have any one I mean some you know maybe some of the guys we have on the Griffins will turn it around but we're just kind of floating there um you know so that's something else we'll have to keep an eye on that could definitely derail our uh, our playoff dreams Oh, yeah. Goaltending is such a touchy subject because when Andre Vasilevsky wins the uh, Vezina Trophy after having been picked with the Red Wings first-round pick that got moved out to get Kyle Quincy, um, that's just going to burn me so bad. And it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, uh, I hadn't thought about it for a few days, and now I'm, I'm pretty mad about it already. <laughs> And I I know that that's not like I it's not gonna like it's not gonna sate my anger like as when it actually happens I'm not going to be any less mad because I'm mad right this second about it so <laughs> thanks for that JJ's brain all right well let's let's talk about the rest of the league uh, the playoffs are just around the corner and we do not have to worry about uh, having our own feelings hurt so we can attach our our feelings to uh, all these other jerk losers and, and try to, to pick out. Now, obviously the final seedings are, are not decided and we could end up uh, really embarrassed, like picking for teams that are, are not even going to make the playoffs, but uh, let's go over real quick. Uh, Josh, who do you have coming out of the East uh, and why isn't it not Tampa? <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. That, that's, that seems like the way too easy pick, right? Um, you know, I, I can see Boston giving it around. Just they're, they're so hot in the last, whatever it is, 25, 30 games. And I, I know they, they ride that one line pretty heavy. And, you know, in the playoffs, that's, that's often, a, you know, bad news when you're, when you're kind of one line and their team is able to focus on them and if not shut them down, at least slow them down enough. And, then you, you know, if they go up against Tampa's depth at some point, you got you think Tampa would, would handle them. But, you know, if there's a team in the East that that gives them a run, I I think it's Boston. Um, there's just these other lineups. I think have too many holes. I mean, you know, looking down at the wild cards, I in the first round I can't see Carolina, Columbus, Montreal, whoever it is, really giving Tampa any of a run. I mean, we've seen Mrazek give it his best go a number of years ago, and that was before Tampa hit hit their hit their run. Now. Um, the Islanders, I think, you know, I think it's been a nice season for them, but I, I don't see that. I think probably Pittsburgh probably takes them, to be honest. Um, Washington having won last year, it's just, they got a good team, but again, I, I just, I think Boston's your best bet to knock off Tampa in the East. All right, Sarah, you got any, uh, 
Do you agree? Um, I mean, I, I'm always team chaos. You know, I want to see Tampa Bay have that kind of pull the old Red Wings and be the best team in the world and then kind of get the immediate heave-ho by some nobody bum team, um, you know, probably Columbus or something, you know, whoever they're – some loser team to be matched up against. Um but it's like, ah, oh, if they win, then maybe Steve Eisenman says, ah, oh, job well done. See ya. Um, I just hate Tampa, and I can't want good things for them. I can't. So, you know, I, I have no problem rooting for the Capitals. I'd like, I don't want them to repeat, um, but I live here. So it's nice to see the hometown fans happy when currently they're crying over Bryce Harper. You know, it's nice to give them a little something to, to cheer up about. But uh, I kind of, you know, I want to believe that Carolina can be the Cinderella team because they deserve a Stanley Cup that people will remember they won because uh, it feels like they've yeah. never won it because nobody remembers that. But now they have the, you know, the bunch of jerks marketing campaign to ride. Um, and if they could just ride that all the way through the finals. But then my third scenario is that I really need the Islanders and the Leafs to meet and play each other and Tavares to like overtime game winning goal game seven kind of thing. Um, I would just like to watch that unfold. Um, and, and just all the hurt feelings. I just want to see that because I'm a bad person. Uh, so I don't know who I have, but there's a lot of, uh, I have a lot of reasons why I want certain things to happen. You stole like basically everything I was gonna say too. That's crazy. Because <laughs> we're both very spiteful people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Tampa has been like so dominant and so ignored. Like it feels at this point they're trying to like it just fly under the radar and be like, oh, pay no attention to that juggernaut wearing the the goofy glasses and the mustache. Um, I think that Columbus is actually a really great first uh, first round matchup to, for them because I I think Columbus rolls over so easy that they get out of the first round like ah this playoff shit is easy and then they'll like meet an actual playoff team in the second round and uh, I think that's the best chance of, of them losing. Um, although like I do want the Islanders in Toronto to meet. I don't want Tavares to finish the Islanders though. I want I want it to go the other way. I want uh, a Tavares turnover in overtime in Game Seven, um, right on the stick of of Anders Lee, and not exactly the finish, but like the new captain of the Islanders steals it from Tavares and and scores the series clinching goal, and all of Toronto goes home bitter and unhappy, and all uh, Long Island fans are just like insufferable forever. And then the Islanders can lose in the next round. I don't care. Um, I don't think that there's a way to get the Islanders to meet Toronto before losing to Carolina in the next round, though. So, Because I do. I want, I want Carolina to go all the way. I want Carolina to prove that they can win a cup that is not going to break the league for an entire season because uh, that's what happened last time they did it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm like – I wouldn't mind Washington going back-to-back since Pittsburgh already ruined that crap for us. Um, I would I would root for Washington over Pittsburgh or over Tampa or over Toronto or over Boston, um, but they're not 
I guess, like, yeah, they're probably my third pick, I guess. Uh, Pittsburgh can get bent. Uh, I think that they're going to be the Islanders. I, I think that, in general, like, the best upset chances we've got in that first round is probably uh, – Pittsburgh over the Islanders actually would be an upset based on the standings right now. So there's that. I, I do think that Toronto's got a decent shot against Boston, but I don't know, like – like Boston's a one-line team, but Toronto's a, a zero defensive unit team, so like they can't stop that one line. I I don't I don't know. That's going to be a fun series to watch, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hate on all of it. So, <laughs> what about out west, Sarah? What do you What do you have? What's your petty rooting interest there? Uh, that one's that one's tougher because. I haven't even really been paying attention. Um, you know, it's easy to hate Colorado, you know, if you add in the probability of getting, you know, Jack Hughes. I can't, like, I, there's no point in hating Calgary because who even who even are they? I don't know. But I do, I am over Vegas. I need them to just stop. Stop all the things that they're doing and lose immediately. Because, um, I, I mean, Nike, there's Nyquist on the Sharks, and if the Sharks do well, that helps us with the draft. And, you know, Nyquist, it's hard. I can't hate him. But ever, I just don't care about the West, and I need to find reasons to hate them. So maybe, you know, you guys can share what you're hating on in the West, and then I can bandwagon um, on your emotions. <laughs> Yeah, let's do it, Josh. What do you got? Oh yeah, we can. We can. So let me see. Hate on the West. Wait, actually, you know what? I'm just gonna go back to the East on one scenario. I, you know, I was looking at the numbers, and it's still possible. If Detroit goes ahead and beats Pittsburgh tomorrow night, leaving Pittsburgh one game remaining, there is the outside chance that Pittsburgh could be the team left out of the playoffs. Which is that's the scenario I want to see in the East is somehow Pittsburgh blows it down the stretch run and ends up being the odd one out. Now I know I think the odds are pretty slim on that, but it's still mathematically possible with two to go. No, I do love that. That's uh, the only way I will root for Montreal to get into the playoffs. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So moving on to the West here. Yeah. Colorado. I don't care that the second wild card, there's no way you'll ever get me to, want them to see do anything but get swept in the most embarrassing fashion. Um, let's see here. You know, Dallas, Dallas is one I have trouble hating on. I could, I could get behind Dallas in the West. I, I, I you know, this might be old seasons past storylines, but I, I think they're a hot, interesting, like high, high event team. That's exciting to watch, but uh, I haven't seen them that much this year. So I can't say that for sure, but I, I feel like they're still that style. I think their goaltending is still not great, which leads them to have to outscore their their opponents. Um, Sarah's right. The Vegas narrative, I'm I'm done with that. They if you got they look pretty locked in with the Sharks, I think, right? So yeah, give me Nyquist and the Sharks. I mean, it helps us, but also I you know Vegas had their fun last year. Give me give me Nyquist on a on a playoff run. Uh, Calgary. What do you what do you hate about Calgary? The the their regular season they uh, they've done too well already. That's their that's their championship. They they can go ahead and 
and lose to I don't know maybe they they lose to Dallas in the first round maybe that's how we how we get that moving. Uh, let me see. Then you got the top of the Central. St. Louis. I like the rookie kid net. That's that's a good story. But it's the Blues. Even though we're we're long since removed from any rivalry with the Blues or Nashville for that matter, I I can't not hate these teams. I don't know if any of the players still exist from from when, when they were in the same division. I don't. I have to look at the, at the roster, <laughs> but there's probably not there's probably not much left. Well, they they probably still exist. Like <laughs> like Thanos <laughs> didn't just snap his finger. <laughs> <laughs> TJ Oshie's dead. Yeah. He never, never yeah. existed. <laughs> um, Rene. Rene's probably the only, is he the only carryover from then? Maybe. I, <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, Winnipeg. I, I, I could get behind Winnipeg and Dallas in the West. Everyone else is either, either I'm, I'm done or don't want to see anything from them or they're just kind of meh and, I don't see, but Winnipeg and Dallas, I could I, I could cheer for a final of Winnipeg-Dallas, I think. But it looks like as it stands, they'd be a first-round matchup rather than a Western Conference final. But but I can always hope. As our good friend Jeff would say, hope is not a strategy. But then again, I don't know exactly why we should have a strategy for fixing the Western Conference playoffs. <laughs> um, the uh, hate on Calgary thing, that is super-duper easy for me, and it all has to do with goal. Uh, Mike Smith is a jerk-off. I, f- I hate that guy. Like, the, f- nice the flopping he did. Oh, man, I hate him so much. Um, <laughs> plus, Calgary traded for Mike Smith when they could have traded for Jimmy Howard, and so I just can't root for good things. Like, I like Monaghan and, and Goudreau and, and kind of what they got going on there, but no, like I, I just I won't do it. Uh, screw you, Calgary. Um, San Jose is the really easy because if they make the Stanley Cup final, then our 2020 pick from that club moves from a third rounder to a second rounder. So go Sharks, especially in the first round since you are playing Vegas, which I totally agree with both of you. I'm just kind of over them, you know. Screw off. It's no longer a fun story. Um, Dallas, I'm kind of torn on because I think Jamie Benn is a big jerk-off, but I also, like, I like the angle of them, like, winning in spite of their ownership, calling them, you know, fucking horse shit. Um, Colorado can get screwed. I'm I'm still hoping, I'm I'm holding out hope that, that Arizona somehow makes up the four points in two games and uh, gets in on the, the tiebreaker. Uh, just because I would rather Colorado miss the playoffs and then like lose the, both shots of the draft lottery so bad that that they end up with an awful pick, um, just salt that whole organization. <clears throat> uh, Nashville and St. Louis, like I, I have to root for Nashville over St. Louis just because of PK Subban. Um, yeah, St. Louis, uh, like yeah, just like you, you were saying, Josh. There's not a lot of like guys left over to hate because like my my single like oh, I hate St. Louis because of David Backus is in Boston now. Never mind. Um, but Ryan O'Reilly is a guy I don't like, so I, I can pick up on that. Like PK Subban versus Ryan O'Reilly, go Subban. And then like I I don't like Winnipeg fans, 
but I don't really have anything against their team. So, yeah, let's go Winnipeg and San Jose in the the, uh, the conference final, and let's get or or Dallas, sure. Uh, but yeah, let's get San Jose into the the Cup final. So, Sarah, what have what have we jogged? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I had to, I was having the same thought about the Blues where I was like, oh, I hate David Backus. And it's like, oh, well, he's in Boston. And I didn't need extra reasons to hate Boston. They're very hateable. Uh, you know, right. so it's – but, yeah, I guess I, you know, I guess it solidifies, you know, that I'm I'm pretty on board with the Sharks. Um, you know, but, but Dallas, too. You you maybe, maybe converted me a little bit on Dallas being uh, – being interesting because most of them are perfectly fine and you know certainly like them better than Winnipeg who I they're just not interesting except Patrick Line but I don't I'm I'm had enough of him so no more no more features on him so go go Dallas and uh and go San Jose go Nyquist yeah, that's good. Patrick Lyon, like he reminds me both in looks and in the way it all worked out, like of the the screaming goats thing. Like, because he looks <laughs> like a screaming goat, and and because like it was really entertaining for a little while, but now it's like ah, I saw that, I'm done with it, go away. Okay, so we've just got to get onto the mailbag where I will uh, pass this off to JJ, who usually does, oh, hey, I'm toasting. That's not funny. So we only had four <laughs> questions, and I will uh, kick that off with uh, Gig, uh, J-H-D-S-G-G-J, who has explained that that username was just pounding on the keyboard in frustration one day, which makes me appreciate it all the more. Um this is a question for me, but I will. So I'll answer first, and then I'll, I'll pass it off to to you guys to to vote as well. Uh, key play breakdown historical. Somebody suggested that JJ use the off season to make some key play breakdowns from historical Red Wings moments. Uh, sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, good idea to me. I'm hoping for more fun times than sad memories of being ousted. But I'm sure we would get both. What is the key play that you would most like to see broken down? And I've uh, had several hours to think about this, and I think the key play, and I'm not even sure, like, there's much to break down, but I just want to relive the Statue of Liberty goal over and over and over, because that is, like, my warm, happy place. That is such a good one. Do Do you have a different one there, Josh? I, I I went back a little further in, there, in in this. Now again, these there's a couple I can think of. Not that I haven't relived them enough times that I feel like I can know the key play breakdown before it even it happens. But I I still want to see it. We I the first one I thought of is the Darren McCarty Stanley Cup winning goal against Philadelphia would be a good one to break down all the way through. Oh, that deke, yeah. Even before the deke, how right? do you get a breakaway in the first place? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly, all the way back to the start of the play, that would be a good one. Um, now I know it's not a goal, but from that same series and just for the nostalgia, the Konstantinov hit at the red line on—is it? Oh, now it's not. Who was it that he hit? Was it? Was it How? No, I don't know. If it was Howard Chuck or something? I can't remember. I just remember the hit. I don't remember who was on the receiving end of it now, but that one—you know. <laughs> That, that, 
Um, and then the one that I, the first one I thought of, I guess, and again, I, I know from start to finish, I think most Wings fans do, is the Iserman overtime winner uh, after the steal off Gretzky uh, slap shot from the blue line there. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, the you know, jumping think... around—that was so great. <laughs> Sorry, go, go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, while you know, since Russian five, you know, that's that's the big news. I'd like to, you know, break down to the first goal that that line scored. You know, I think would be, uh, or that unit rather scored. I think that'd be a good one to just relive. And and if you want to look at all the other goals, or you know, the game where you know. Patrick Waugh got chased out all those, all those times. Um, but I think the first goal would be, would be pretty cool to, to look at. Oh yeah. I probably put 2000 words up on that too. Cause that was, that was such a beautiful unit to watch. They were, oh, just the memories of that. I think another uh, good one would be uh, in the, the Washington sweep. Just when, the wings were were up, but the series wasn't necessarily closed out, and it was a tight game. And Esatikinen deking Osgood out of his mind, and then pushing it through the crease and missing the open net entirely, uh, just always cracks me up because that like felt like that was the end of that series, uh, a full game early. And I didn't hate Esatikinen, but I just like really love that he missed that shot. So, moving on from nostalgia, ENSRW says, what is the worst assumption Kenny Holland could make regarding the way the Red Wings are finishing up the season? Does Ken Holland admit his mistake in signing Abdicator to that long contract by A, buying him out, B, putting him on waivers and, assuming he clears, sending him to Grand Rapids, C, package him in a trade where we pay part of his salary and give up a solid prospect, or D, continue to ignore the problem? How do we... uh, how do we deal with the applicator issue? Or how is Ken Holland going to deal with it? Hmm. You know, he's, there's no way that Abby's going to be bought out, sent to Grand Rapids, traded or not protected in an expansion draft. Uh, we're, we're stuck with him forever. Um, ideally, and, or at least the best case scenario I can believe would be real is that Abby is firmly on the fourth line all next season, you know, barring unusual injury circumstances. Um, but that, you know, the, the Abby first line dream is officially over and he just cruises on the fourth line. Um, that's about as optimistic as I can get. I just can't believe that, you know, hometown hero, Justin Advocator will be anything but in our lives for a long time. Yeah. Josh. Yeah. It'd be nice to know that one of those, those other options is a possibility, but I think it's just, I think you're fantasizing. It's, you're not going to buy him out. He's, he's got a letter on his Jersey, right? It's, He's not going anywhere. Like Sarah said, the best thing for him is to sit on the fourth line and, and, and draw the appropriate minutes that the fourth line should bring. And 
at some point down the road, maybe part of a trade when he's down to, yeah, it probably have to be. Yeah, probably has to have two years left on his contract before he becomes movable at that point. And even then, he has to still be abdicator now versus abdicator in three years, which probably won't be the, be the same. <laughs> Not that that's that's adding a lot, but um, yeah, at least another two or three seasons, I don't see him going anywhere. Yeah, I'm also going to say that that I'm not going to say that necessarily it's it's D. He's continuing to ignore the problem because uh, I don't think that it's it's possibly ignoring him. It's it's using the assets at your disposal uh, to the best of of your ability. And if you want to have any chance of a of a future kind of trade with Applicator, you can't just put him on waivers and send him to Grand Rapids. Uh, if you want to, like, because Justin Applicator still does sell tickets with part of the fan base, and doing that to Justin Applicator, I know that, like, that is a, a, a you know, the PR among players. You want to attract free agents, and you kind of don't treat guys like that. Um, and that's, a, I don't think it's a, a terribly strong consideration, but it is a consideration. Um, you know, he is still a useful fourth line guy. He would just be a terribly overpaid fourth line guy, but it's not like it's not like he he's the only one in the league. Um, and I don't think that it's necessary yet to trade a prospect to get rid of him. I think that it will be in the future uh, in terms of of what's useful. But I also think it's going to cost them less later on. Plus, uh, not next season, but after next season, his no-trade clause turns into that modified no-trade clause where he can be moved if the Red Wings miss the playoffs or he's not in the top nine of uh, time on ice monk forwards. So keep him on the fourth line, uh, you kill his no-trade clause, and then then you can move him along when the timing is exactly right and the return is an actual either return or it's at least a lessening of the amount of pain that you have to inflict on yourself just to get rid of that contract and, and move on. So I don't think next season is the right time to do it. If, if something works out that you can do it, then yeah, go ahead. But um, yeah, I, I don't think they need a rush to do that just yet. So Johnny Suze asks about AA and Manta with a year left on the contract. So they eligible to resign on July 1st. Uh, we all did some basic research and think, yes, they are, but we're not entirely sure. So if we're wrong, please just jump in the comments and tell us. Uh, it's the Internet. I'm sure you will. But the second part of that question is, based on their performance this year, do you see it happening that they sign extensions basically this summer? Uh, and if so, for what term and price? Sarah, what do you think? Are are we re-upping them quickly, or are we going to let them get into the contract year and deal with it then? I think they're going to wait until the contract year. Um, I mean, I could be completely wrong, of course, but I I feel like they want to see they being Ken Holland um, would want to see one more season where they're producing at the level they did this season to show that, like, you know, it's the real deal you know, whatever, that they're not going to become the spare parts again or whatever they think that they, they have been in the past. Um, but just to show that 
consistency and that unless, you know, they're feeling, you know, like they're not going to get a good deal and they need to rush it. Um, but I think they'll just, you know, let it go since it's only one more year. Um, but I don't know. I, but like I said, I think it'll be, they'll just wait. How are you, Josh? Um, yeah, I I think Sarah's right. I think they'll let it trickle in uh, into next year and and do sign make a signing during during the season there, maybe around Christmas time or something, depending on how things go the first few months. But um, I don't see them doing it this summer just because, like Sarah said, they want to see if they can maintain it. Um, I don't think trying to hardball them or or quickly lock them into a deal this summer is going to save you much because they they've already proven that they can put up these numbers. It like man on a full season, the 30 goals there, um, and happen to see you. So it's, you're not going to get them to, to agree to, to a really cheap contract and then see them do it again. And be like, Oh good. We got them locked in before they, they knew they were capable of doing it. They're not going to sign unless they're signing for 30 goal player money. Um, so they'd be just as happy to wait and players as they often do will bet on themselves to do it again um, and then, you know, secure themselves that call it the, the 30 goal money. Um, in terms of uh, the, the length and term and stuff, I mean, I think you kind of got Larkin placed in the, the ceiling part. So they're not going to get obviously past that, whether it was the six or 6.1 million he's at. Um, I can see them in that, that four to five year range. And. Depending on which which one's four million, which one's five million, I guess it depends on what happens next season. They both, you know, as far as and you hear it in the comments all the time from from coaching management is consistency, consistency, consistency. Whichever one seems to show more of that gets the five, and the other one gets four, maybe as it, the numbers I think I'm going to see over you know a four or five year deal. Yeah, I. I totally agree with the both of you. I don't have anything extra to add to that. I, I think you nailed it. So the very last question comes from uh, Mantha Fodder. What expiring contracts do you see the Red Wings re-upping, and which of those are you okay with? So I'm on Cap Friendly right now, and the expiring contracts they have right now at forward, uh, the only pending UFA they've got is Thomas Vanek. Right. Uh, yeah, cause Wade Megan doesn't count. Uh, and then they've got RFA Martin Furk and RFA Dominic Turgeon in the forwards. So, who are they re up in there? Are they uh, they re signing Vanek for one last kick at the can? I hope not. <laughs> we were we were talking about the lineups before. I just. We want to see some other, or at least I, I want to see some of these other guys get a chance and get in the lineup. And I think he blocks a spot. Um, and I, you know, he 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 shows flashes. Like he scored 16 goals or whatever it is in the games he's played. But I I'd rather see someone else get a chance. And he's he's getting too slow. Uh, you know, we've seen what the the youth and the speed in the lineup can do, and that's kind of a big part of why what's happening now. I think he kind of throws a wrench in all of that. Nothing against him, but he's getting older, getting slower. I, I I hope not, but he's the only one of the bunch there where I can see the team saying, "Yeah, you know what? We'll we'll bring you back for one more, and you can be the 
the veteran met- mentor to whoever his line mates may be. Um, I think they they let FERC go. Um, obviously, that experiment hasn't worked. The only reason he's up now is the they're running out of running out of people to bring up. And I think you know since he didn't stick at the beginning of the season and he's gone through waivers before, I think they don't even bother give him the contract this time. I think Turgeon they keep around. Um, I think he he sticks as maybe depending on who they bring in and who they don't as a as a thirteenth or fourteenth forward to kind of slide into the lineup here and there. Yeah, right on. Sarah, what do you think? Is Vanek coming back? Do you want him back? Uh, I think that they'll let him go. You know, he's their you know culture guy. You know, they're always everybody's always saying he's great in the locker room, great in the locker room. But, spoiler alert, if they bring back Cronwall for another year, that kind of fills the role of, you know, the wise old man in the locker room um, and definitely adds an extra shove to pushing Vanek out the door. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think we need him back. You know, we also have Franz Nielsen, who is a, you know, elder statesman. Helm and Abby aren't exactly young either. Um, so I... You know, I think you know Josh is right that Vanix kind of is an odd man out, um, and that now that we've seen all these forwards that we have, um, you know, that are coming up, that they're quick, you know, that I don't want Vanix back, and I think they will let him go. But I've been wrong about veteran signings before. With Ferk, I I think uh. they do let him go also, um, and you know I pretty much agree, you know, also with uh, with Turgeon that he kind of becomes that the road trip player who's, you know, bounces back and forth between Detroit and Grand Rapids if things go poorly on the injury front. Um, you know, but he's he's not expensive and there's, you know, he's a useful player for sure. Yeah, totally agree on Turgeon. I, I think that he gets qualified at, at the cheap, totally variable, and that's kind of like his, his role is he's going to be useful in Grand Rapids. And he may get a late season, like, congratulations for being a good soldier kind of call-up. But, you know, I'm totally okay with that. Um, yeah, I don't I don't even think they're going to qualify Martin Furk. Like, and if they do give him a qualifying offer where they have to offer him at least 100% of his current salary, I think he'd be a fool not to sign it. So, um, yeah, because I think that there's a really good chance that Martin Furk is in uh, – the KHL or the the Deutsche Elite League next next season, where I think he'll play really well. Uh, I think he'll like you know do Jan Mersak well. Um, I just don't think he's cut out for the NHL. So sorry. And yeah, I totally agree on Vanek. I don't want him back. I agree. Like I I think he was useful this year as a good in the room kind of veteran. Like they don't have they didn't have the veteran forward that was essentially like. Hey Anthony Manta, go learn from this guy. But I don't think that that's necessary anymore. Like I don't think that they need Vanek around to have like Zadina under his wing or or to teach Manta anything new. Um, and I, I don't think that it's really worth that roster spot to do that anyway. I, I think that this is the I I basically think that it'll be t- Anthony Manta's job to help Philip Zadina along. Um, so that's that's what I want to see. I don't want to see Vanek re-signed. Over on the defense, uh, let's just tackle the Cronwall thing first. Um, 
Sarah, you already said that uh, that you think they're that they're going to re-sign him. Do you, you okay with that? How do you feel? Uh, I think they are going to re-sign him. You know, he's he said he's feeling good. You know, I I love Cromwell, hundred percent bias. Um, you know, you can't take Zetterberg from me and then immediately Cromwell. I'm not ready. My personal feelings are the most important thing about this team. Uh, so obviously they need to to give Croner one more year. I mean, he looks like he's not in pain when he's skating around, uh, which is more than can be said of him, uh, you know, two, three years ago. Uh, you know, last year he was looking fairly healthy. This year he's he's our Iron Man. I mean, he's played, what, 70-some games, and no one's come even close to playing, you know, that many on the defense. He's the healthiest one, uh, you know, so he's kind of proven that he can hang around. Um so if he wants to stay, stay, and if Larkin says, I want Cromwell to stay, then I'm 100% on board. Um, but like I said, I am also completely biased. Fair enough. Josh? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'm in agreement with Sarah on that is, I, you know, Cromwell there is one I would make a special exception for. Usually, you know, you look at, numbers, age, those things, and you kind of go, I just don't see space for him, but it's in his circumstances, he's he's fine. I think he, he serves a good mentorship role, um, and, uh, you know, he's, I, I think he's, he was fine, he's been fine this year. I don't think, I don't think he sticks out like a sore thumb. No, is he the Cromwell of old? Of course not. He's not going to, not going to anchor your top pair anymore, but you know, bring him in for a fair deal. And it's one year. They're not going to need the space next year. It's the years after that when they start to bring, uh, you know, they get these other guys on their raises that it becomes maybe more of a concern. But next year on a one year, I, I don't see the problem. The The problem becomes you got to move somebody out and we we can get into that more. But with, with him back in the fold, someone's got to go to make room for some of these other guys. Yeah, it's not so much the Cronwall thing, but like if Daly and and Green are are still going to be around, like I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I, I agree. Like I I don't think that bringing Cronwall back would be the worst thing in the world. I think that giving Cronwall a three year deal at six million dollars per year would be the worst. Would be really awful. But yeah, one year, three, four. I mean, hell, he's making four point seven five right now. I think that would be an overpayment. But I. I don't really care that much about the about next year's cap hit either. So, whatever. So the other UFAs we've got uh, on defense are Luke Witkowski, Jake Chelios, and Dylan McElrath. Should we bring any of those three back? Uh, Anybody? Think... No. Oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um... You know, if it wasn't for the log jam, I would be afraid that they bring Wachowski back. I mean, I know he gets fans out of their seats and things, but I definitely see them letting him go just because there's already a roster crunch for spots. And as much as they like him, I can't see them, you know, bringing him back at the sacrifice of never getting any of these guys up. So I think he's gone. Um, Chelios, you know, in his limited show, I know I realize he's already 28, so he's hardly a a prospect. He's almost to Kaiser's age. Um, but, you know, I think he's looked decent in the games he's played. He's not the other special, but you, you bring him in as a seventh guy here or there. Now he probably have to pass through um, waivers 
But, you know, that's the other thing. If you put him through waivers and he gets claimed, it's not the end of the world either. But I wouldn't mind re-upping him and hopefully keeping him around, as again, as a call-up type if we run into problems with injuries um, or, or as a depth guy in Grand Rapids. McElrath, I think, fits more of the, the big net front, clear it out. And he, he looked okay too, but he I think he's probably a step slow. And it's not typically the type I'm, I'm fond of. But uh, so I, I I lean against him, but that's more of a personal bias and nothing I've seen for him, but just more of his style um, than anything. So I guess of all those, Jake Chelios is the one I'd I'd bring back. Yeah, Chelios and McElrath, if they're needed in Grand Rapids, but I don't see any point in in using them for the Red Wings unless we absolutely have to. Um, and then the. Yeah, Luke Wachowski, I want him gone. Like, I'm still mad that he concussed Franz Nielsen. Um, I was, like, really comfortable with him. I was growing really comfortable with him throughout the season. And then, yeah, he he fragged his own teammate, and I'm just mad again. So, goodbye. Uh, RFA, we've got we've got Joe Hicketts and Libor Sulak, and I don't think there's a, a reason to say don't sign either of them. They're still going to come cheap, and... I think there's still like a lot of good uh, uh, chances with those guys. So, any disagreements there or additional thoughts? No, I think uh, you're right. There's no harm in there's no harm in resigning them. Um, you know, with I have to say, you know, quick bounce back to UFAs. Witkowski is the one signing that I'm afraid of. That's the one where I'm like, oh, I can really see them signing him because, you know, he's Mr. Utility. He can fill in for a forward, fill in for a defenseman, fill in for Jimmy Howard. Um, you know, that he's <laughs> kind of that that grit guy, that, you know, hometown, Luke Glenn Denning, but much less useful, but also cheap, that that's the one that they, you know, say surprise, spring on the fan base over the summer and everyone goes bonkers. Um, you know, so I'm, but I'm completely all right with keeping Chelios, McElrath, you know, Hicketts, Shulak, you know, those as kind of perennial Griffins guys, at least, you know, for next year and still holding out hope for Joe Hicketts, of course, you know, Hicketts and Cromwell together, that's, you know, father and son, but I'm, I'm real worried that, uh, that Witkowski is going to come back. Yeah, I think so too. He's a... Derek Meech with a beard and personality. <laughs> so. And I realize I I did when I was mentioning him, I, I called him Sulak. It is Shulak. So Sarah got it right. I got it wrong. Sorry for anybody who heard me say it wrong the first time. I apologize. So, all right. So that gets us through the reader questions. Uh, before we get out of here, before I hand off to you guys for final thoughts, I do want to plug... One thing coming up on uh, Sarah's Twitter timeline uh, on uh, Saturday at 4.20, correct, Sarah? That's right. Yep, the uh, annual Red Wings Awards, which is a a must-see event, is great every single year. Uh, I got to be on the the secret voting panel. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything else because uh, Sarah will hunt me down, but... Be prepared for that. That is a very fun thing that I'm I'm very much looking forward to. And if you're not already following her on Twitter uh, at Helmroids, 
H-E-L-M-E-R-R-O-I-D-S, you should solve that immediately, right now. So that's our plug for the episode, and I want to hand it off. uh, Any final thoughts, hockey-related or otherwise, Josh? Uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, heading into the obviously a couple of games left here, finish on the, the strong note that they, they've got going. And I think, you know, this is the, the big off season where things start to take their turn on the upswing. You know, we're, we're at the bottom of the, the valley here, and we're going to finally start to see things go the right way and start progressing back up to contention beginning with next year. So it's, it's kind of an exciting off season. It's not all doom and gloom of, how much more do we have to suffer through? Going out on a winning note like this gives you a nice taste in your mouth going through the off season and waiting for October. Um, the on a on the personal side, the big the big off season thing I'm excited for is uh, I am getting married this summer, so that's uh, that's another reason to enjoy this off season coming up. So that's uh, that's a big exciting time for me. Oh hell yeah! Congratulations, man. Thanks. Sarah, can you talk getting married? Uh, I cannot talk getting married. Uh, thank God. <laughs> but, uh, you know, fi- final thoughts on the wings. You know, like I said, I'm I'm loving the win streak. You know, I get to kind of hold on, bundle up my hate, unleash it during the playoffs. You know, I'm not going to be, you know, hate exhausted. I'll I'll be really raring to go to to put up some really mean uh, memes about other teams and. Uh, looking forward to the draft and not really, and, and kind of pretending I know who all these players are, but honestly I have not done my research. Um, but I think it's going to be a, an interesting, but fun summer for the wings and, you know, fall will be here before we know it on the personal side, not getting married, but did, uh, you know, buy a house two months ago and I've been working outside in the garden. So all of my rage, if Witkowski is signed, I will, you know, channel into pulling weeds out, of the garden and pretending they're players I don't like. So I've got a good, good rage outlet this summer offline, um, but we'll still be venting plenty online as well for uh, my loyal followers on Twitter. Oh, that's really cool. I don't have any like cool bought a house, got married thing. My, my middle daughter's soccer team got yellow jerseys and they named themselves the Pikachu's. So I went online and I bought a couple of I bought a couple of shirts and I'm gonna wear Pikachu shirts to all their games and I'm thinking like of going all out like getting like a big foam Pikachu tail and like painting my face yellow with the red cheeks and just like really cheering for this under eight soccer team that still plays bumblebee ball and just being like that guy. Um, but I I, I don't know because I I wanted her to still like me when she turns uh, ten so. Uh, other than that, I don't really have any final Red Wings related thoughts. I've just kind of like puked those all over the rest of this episode, and I'm I'm exhausted now. So uh, I wanted to, to thank you, Josh and Sarah, for coming on and, and helping me work through my Red Wings feelings, and for sharing your your wonderful news. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. All right, we will catch you next time. So. Uh, Let's go Red Wings. Wing in it. Wing in it.